Black Lives Matter. There is no question in my mind that Black people are treated considerably more harshly in our criminal justice system. Some of the videos that I've seen of Black people being beaten or killed on video have made my blood boil and changed the perception I've had of police officers. But there are still moments for me, like when I see protests where police officers are standing facing an angry crowd. And I wonder, what is their perspective? What is their experience as this world around us evolves? And then an added layer, what's it like to be black in a blue uniform? Today, I speak to a dear family friend about his experience living in both worlds. Thank you for joining me. I'm, I've been so excited all week. I'm like, I can't wait to talk to him and see what he has to say. I hope it lives up to your expectations for this conversation. I totally will. Well, let's start at the beginning. So you were in law enforcement or some level of like being a correctional officer and then at some point you thought about being a police officer. Tell me about your decision when you were originally thinking about becoming a police officer. It started off when I was in, you know, uh, corrections. It's two parts to corrections. You're either on the rehabilitation side or you're on the security side. And I was kind of working on the rehabilitative side, um, doing um, like re-entry into the community um, and helping people uh, reintegrate themselves in the community. And I realized, you know, going into like a year five there that I, I, you know, it was too late. I wasn't able to reach people and to help um, people and especially minorities Mm -hmm. um, till after they were already in the system. And so, um, I was thinking like, you know, man, how can, how would I be able to do more? It just seemed more effective to reach them before they got into the system and thinking that policing would be that, that way before they were arrested and sent into the system and Mm -hmm. had opportunity to have the discretion to say, Hey, look, this isn't the way you want to go. You know, take it from me, somebody who's worked inside with, you know, people who have already committed these crimes and seen how it's affected their lives. It seems like you already kind of had this idea of community policing the way that you saw yourself was kind of as the good guy and someone who could go in and really influence youth. Maybe in a lot of cases or people that were making maybe small mistakes before they became big ones. I had a, a family member who he, he was a, uh, police officer and he had always tried to get me in. I was like, no way. Like policing's not for me. That's not, that's not who I want to be. And obviously uh, getting into corrections kind of changed my mind towards the view of policing, but then um, doing uh, some work in my master's degree um, and learning about community policing um, that way. Um, it was definitely the style of uh, officer that I wanted to be throwing a football or shooting a basketball with the kids. That was definitely the type of cop that I envisioned myself being in my career. That was closer to my heart than wanting to go out there and have a badge and a gun. And you said something that made me think 
you have a graduate degree. I got to imagine that that is pretty uncommon. Yes. Um, most of the time it's command staff. Um, the, the, how we refer to it in policing is the brass. The command staff are usually the ones who usually have graduate level degrees, um, higher education. And nine times out of 10, they're doing it to promote. I did it a little differently. Um, so yeah, entry-level police officers, I would say less than probably 10% of them have graduate degrees or above. I didn't get in until I was uh, 30, um, you know, and starting in corrections and stuff when I was around like 25. And so most police officers will start their career around, I'd say, 22, 23 years old. So they, that's not even enough time to finish a graduate degree, nonetheless, even an undergraduate degree possibly. Yeah. Did you ever consider what it would be like to be a black police officer? I always thought about the fact that I would be able to touch the community and closer to the community, specifically meaning African-American children, kids, teens, and young adults. That was, that was always, to me, my primary goal. I don't recall seeing any black police officers in my neighborhood mm -hmm. growing up. Every experience I had with police officers, they were white officers. After George Floyd's murder and, you know, some of the videos that have come out, has there been any level of, I guess, processing for you around that? Just realizing that you could literally be on the scene of something as heinous as uh, the George Floyd case. And it really, it really came down to the significance of your character for were you going to stand by and allow something like this tragedy to happen? Or were you going to stand up and uh, allow your, your, your voice to be heard? You can't be a bystander as a police officer. There's this whole, I'm going to back my brother in blue and, and, and support whatever they, they do is, is not something that we can do as police officers. It's interesting because when I think the normal average American looks at that situation and that video and says, how could the other officers have not done anything? From a police officer's standpoint, is that pretty difficult in that scenario? While you might have done something different, did you relate to the police officers feeling the pressure of not? necessarily dividing from the other police officers in that scenario? I can't say for a second that I related with anything that happened on that scene. I definitely saw things that I, I felt like I would have did different, you know, even as the officer who was not participating in the use of force, you know, at what point do you not think to turn and look at what's going on? At what point do you not realize the people who are pleading with you in front of you holding cell phone cameras aren't a threat any longer. They don't have a gun on them. They don't have something on you that can hurt you. So you don't have to take such a protective role for your officers that are standing behind you. Turn around and look and then be that voice of reason that that scene needed. Like, hey, guys, he's not moving. 
let's let's move him in a position so he won't you know be subject to positional asphyxiation you know those types of things that we know we learn we train can't say that i really stand in a position of feeling like i empathize with with the officers on that scene because i, I felt like watching something like that was just like where i wish you know i, I wish things would have gone differently i wish they would have done things differently mm-hmm. i would have done things differently So let's say that officer did something different and he looked back, saw this atrocity and said, no, we're not moving forward. George Floyd lives. Does that police officer now have a divide with his comrades? Does that have consequences with it? Possibly. The one problem I've always had in any type of policing I've ever been in, like I said, um, is... We don't tally the number of lives we save. There's no statistical data out there for the times that we've talked other officers into making a sensible decision. And so those amount of times that we've actually made the right decision, there's nobody standing around applauding us for those. It's it's when something's done wrong. That's That's a really good point. Would you say that that is common, that that has been a part of your experience in the police department where you've had to say to a coworker, hey, chill out? It happens most often. You know what? This, this, this man has a mental health issue. We're, gonna, we're just going to talk him down. We're going to call uh, some mental health experts on scene and we're going to send him to the hospital. You know, and just to get back to your prior question, depending on how you interjected in that scene, um, yeah, you you may have caused a divide between you and your comrades. If you, you know, went over and you kind of like tapped them on the shoulder and, you know, kind of whispered in the ear like, hey, there's cell phone video going on right now. Um, This is not right. You need to get up, you know, and then kind of, you know, handled it in a, a more discreet way mm-hmm. to where you allowed that person to kind of hold their head up and be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I made the right decision to get up and take a little bit of ownership over that versus you intervening in, in such a, a profound way and standing there and, you know, declaring to all that you're going to stand up against, you know, that officer doing the wrong thing. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely a way of handling it. Was there good relationships with your police officers? Did you feel like there was even an internal divide in terms of, you know, people of color or black police officers and white police officers? Yeah, I definitely say there is. I mean, there are black police associations. And if there isn't some type of racial divide, in policing, then why, why is there a need for a black police officer association? It's a majority white dominated field that very few people of color are in. And so, yeah, there is a divide. How did you manage through that for you personally as an individual? And especially transitioning from, let's say, corporate America, I assume you might be in corporate America and and then generally dependent on where you work, there might be considerably more white people than people of color in that particular climate. But I would, I would have to guess that to some degree in being a police officer, there is even a higher sense of 
divide than maybe in normal corporate America? I mean, you've been in both. Would you say that that's accurate? I'd say it's, it's very accurate. When I grew up as a kid, I, I lived in predominantly black, Filipino, Hispanic neighborhood. I bust up north to predominantly white school. That's where I kind of had my first exposure to being one of the few black people. And it was it's it's funny because everybody on my bus were black or Filipino or Hispanic, Mexican. Mm-hmm. And so the the school up north had literally bus us all in to integrate the school. And so that had a lot to do with me having the experiences of being, you know, one of the few people of color in certain situations and learning how to navigate those situations, just using those past experiences. So this week we read a few articles. It was a part one and part two series of what it is like to be a black police officer with NPR. And one of the things that was very interesting is one of the police officers in that article said, uh, I got into the policing to, to be honest, to be, I was purely selfish. I just wanted a good paying job, you know, that had benefits. I was a single mom at the time, I think she mentioned. And, uh, and I think many people can say that in terms of our careers, right? That you get in and you work and you might enjoy your work. Um, but we generally do it to get paid and, and, um, provide for our families, Um, being in corporate America and being a black woman in corporate America, there have been some spaces where I wasn't happy just because it was hard to wear the two hats. Do you feel like you had to show up and be a different person when you walked into the doors during the day? Well, it's interesting that you say that um, because that that almost brings up another dichotomy for me which is being multiracial I mean like because I I am I'm black I'm white I'm Cuban it's always been in any situation I've ever been wearing different hats and I guess that's just kind of been my entire life I've always been pretty clear that by the world I'm viewed as a black man I embrace the fact that I am um a, you know, sometimes the only black voice in a room and, um, and I'm going to be heard as such. Going back to actually that NPR article, the one, one of the things I like that, that the, the same officer had said is when she spoke to the younger officer, she said, be unapologetic about who you are. Earlier on in my career, it, people didn't want to hear about you agreeing with the Black Lives Matter movement because they want to pay attention to the negative aspects of movement and put it off as something negative. And so earlier on, I may have not wanted to be that person. I'm at a point in my career where, yeah, you know, I'll tell somebody, you know, Black Lives Matter movement is not people throwing bricks through windows and, and, and looting these communities. They're the ones who just want justice who want to peacefully protest and you feel more comfortable about standing up for what you believe in. We also read, I guess it was a book review. It was a book that was written by James Foreman Jr., Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in Black America, but it was a review 
by Harvard Law Review, Devin W. Carbado and L. Song Richardson. And the article is called The Black Police Policing Our Own. And this was a really, really solid, intense article. But I, what I found to be interesting about this was it really broke down the different challenges uh, for black police officers in policing. And I think the premise of the article was that the question of whether diversity itself helps overcome some of this systemic racism that exists in policing. And what it did was it went into the different challenges that black officers face in going to police departments, such as even having this scrutiny of being more sympathetic to black plight. And so not wanting to be seen as as someone who is going to be soft on crime. Was there anything from that that resonated with you? I guess it resonated with me just because at some point in policing, you've, you've kind of seen all sides of, of what it was talking about. I didn't want to be the police officer who over-policed his own community, um, other Black people, in order to fit in with the blue. I always saw myself as somebody who was putting myself in a, a position to help more so than anything. I, it, it was more, it was going to be more about the way I helped um, versus being soft. And so in any given situation, I, I knew it would just had to come down to whether what was happening was wrong. At some point, you have to realize if, if somebody's doing wrong, it doesn't matter what the skin color of the, the person we're trying to arrest is. It, 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 they're just doing wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody, if we show up on scene and somebody has uh, beat the mess out of, you know, out of their wife, girlfriend, and it's pretty clear that this person has violated the law, has, has committed a crime, then there is no siding with them as a black person. There's, it's arrest this person and take them to jail. The help comes later on. Now, if it, you know, I've been in, I've been part of situations where I've been able to make the decision like, hey, like this, this is a situation where I can help. Especially when I realized that me maybe being the only black police officer on scene or person of color on scene is advantageous to that person that we're interacting. It brings different memories to mind. I have one in particular where we showed up on scene and it was a scene at a library. There's a, a white slash Hispanic male. He was white on the outer, outward appearance. He'd been beat up. His face was bloody. And everybody's like, oh my God, you know, a black man attacked him, got out of this car, hit him, bloodied his face and took off. And that was what everybody saw, who, who saw the incident that took place. And so here we are, police officers, and we're looking for the suspect, you know, a black male, black female in a car headed northbound from this location. And we get radio comms that they're in contact with somebody who fits that description. And so I end up getting the rest of the information on the scene that we we're at with the, the, the bloody white male. And so it, it sounds pretty clear cut, you know, for somebody who just kind of sees, oh, you know, black man got out of the car hit this guy in the face, got back in his car and took off. Well, before I left that scene, I kind of saw somebody standing by off over off to the side. So I decided to approach them. And I said, hey, did you see what happened? He's like, yeah, actually, I was, 
I was standing here the whole time. And all the other uh, witnesses that you talked to didn't see what happened. They just saw the gentleman get out of the car and hit the white guy and take off. He's like, well, what actually happened is this white guy, he came through the parking lot yelling all crazily, just yelling at bystanders, yelling at this car. And the, the black man was trying to back out of a space and was waiting for his girlfriend to come out of the business that they're in front of. Well, the guy comes yelling at the black male in the car and says, hey, what the hell are you doing? Why are you doing? Why are you trying to hit me with your car? And the guy's like, I'm not trying to hit you with my car. The guy takes, the white man takes his fist and starts beating on the guy's car. The black man takes off down the parking lot and goes to the other end of the parking lot to get away from this. The white man, uh, the witness proceeds to tell me that the white man pursues the vehicle. The girlfriend, in the meantime, gets in the car. The white man pursues the vehicle and then goes over and starts beating on the car some more. At what point the black man gets out of the car, hits the white guy. The white guy falls on the ground. He gets back in the car and makes and makes it so they can actually leave. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of a different that's kind of a different perspective than four or five other witnesses had told me at that point. So when I go to the scene and I actually find the man, find the black man at at a gas station at a location that's like four or five miles away, there's a bunch of white police officers surrounded him and he's very defensive. He's like, Man, I'm not talking to y'all, I'm not telling y'all nothing. Y'all, I don't talk to the police. Forget y'all. And he was in a very defensive position because I could tell at this point he thought he was going to go to jail for what he had done. Not to mention the car smelled of marijuana, which obviously is going to put police on their heels like, oh, yeah, he's, he's using marijuana. He's over here assaulting people. Yeah, we have a good case. This guy's going to jail. And so at one point, so when I got on scene, I kind of took control of the scene because I was the primary officer and I told everybody, I said, hey, just stand back. Let me talk to him for a second. I said, hey, I need you to, I need you to just listen. You see everybody standing around. At this point, I have witnesses that I can bring over here and put you there on the scene and say that you were the one that assaulted that man. But I have a feeling that that's not what happened. So I need to hear your side of the story to understand fully what happened. I have another witness that says, that kind of says differently from what these other people were saying. But I need to hear it from you. I need to know what happened. And what's funny is then at some point, you, you kind of see that sigh of relief where he realized somebody was actually going to listen to him. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, okay. Me and my girlfriend, we went to the dispensary with my medical marijuana card to get some of our medicine. Then we went to this business afterwards. Well, when my girlfriend entered the business, I was sitting in the car waiting on her. And this guy just comes out in the parking lot just yelling all crazily. So I start to back out to kind of move the car to get away from him. And he's like, he runs up to my car and tells me I was going to hit him. And so he starts beating on my car. And so I moved to the other end of the parking lot to get away from him. My girlfriend comes out, gets in the car, and then we're pulled in forward. So we have to back out again. And this guy's behind my car and beating on my car and stuff like that. He's like, the only thing I do is I got out and I hit him. And that got him away from my car. So I backed out and I left. And I was like, okay, now, now I understand. This man used the right amount of force to defend himself and potentially his girlfriend from a situation that could have gotten out of hand and he didn't 
overuse any amount of force in my opinion. And I was able to write it up and tell this man like, Hey, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Cause I have a witness who actually, who holds up what you're saying as well. And so, no, you're not going to jail today. And the other officers on the scene who had, they, they hadn't heard the other witness and they're like, what's going on? What's going on? After I was able to tell them the full witness account and what had happened, they're like, oh, but at that point, there wasn't anybody who had the forward thinking enough to go out and try to find another witness to put another side of the story to that story and give that black man a chance to walk away from that situation. I mean, it just has my wheels turning because I feel like there's so many scenarios where there's more to the story and there's so much, there's so much to unpack there, right? Because we have the witnesses that pulled up, right? And they saw just a fraction potentially of what happened, but we all have implicit bias, right? So they, they see this situation. They see a white man getting punched by a black man and then the black man peeling off. And whether we'd like to believe it or not, that feeds into the implicit bias and the stereotype that black people are aggressive and violent. And then, you know, people hear, police officers hear that story. They go after the guy and they're all standing and trying to talk to him. Then because of the relationships between the black community and police officers, you have this man, this black man who's unwilling to speak with the police officers and is already anticipating what is going to happen next, which then puts him in a worse off position. That is just such a good example of all the ways something can go very, very wrong very quickly and how quickly black men can be stereotyped and we can make a quick judgment about something without even knowing the whole story. I've heard a lot of people be really frustrated about the rioting. From a police officer's perspective, how do you feel about it? It's hard. Like, yeah, as a police officer, I want to say, you know, my, my initial knee-jerk reaction is to say I disagree with the rioting. Um, but I also know that uh, just knowing that his, historically, the only time, the only time things change or, or voices are heard when is when, you know, um, is when people are able to disrupt the system. And so if you ask me if I agree with rioting um, in whole, no, I don't agree with rioting. I don't agree with uh, burning down businesses, but I also know that peaceful protests, kneeling hasn't worked to a certain degree that there had, there had to be a more aggressive approach to, to make the voices of Black America heard, not just kneeling during the national anthem, which still gained a lot of negative ridicule, but now people would, would be glad if we were able to go back to the days of just kneeling, because now we have a different level of uh, protest. So you're a father, undoubtedly 
as kids grow up, they say, oh, I want to be a police officer, or they especially just want to do what their dad um, does from a career perspective. Would you want um, any of your children to be police officers? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and no, what? It's kind of funny. We have a saying in, in policing. It's, if you want to be liked, go be a fireman. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess that's a good point. I mean, you know, I, I think police officers get a lot of criticism. And some of it, you know, based on the police killing rate and some of the things that we've seen on video is legitimate. But there's also this consideration that that is not all of what police officers do. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Not even most of what police officers do. No, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy because you can literally, I can literally go from, can, you know, doing CPR on a five-month-old drowning victim to responding to a burglary call where somebody's lost all their life's possessions from somebody who's, you know, broken into their home to making a traffic stop on somebody going 30 miles over the, the speed limit and you have all these different, you know, different situations that you're, you're in and you have to transition from one to another, leaving the other behind. And knowing that you have this person yelling at you on a traffic stop about why the heck are you stopping me for, for speeding or whatever? Don't you have something better to do? When, you know, just two calls before you were here, you are doing CPR on a five month old and you're just hoping that that five month old lived and nobody sees the side of that. We're, we're thought of as these drones that are supposed to disconnect from our feelings and we're not supposed to be scared of death. You've heard probably a lot of the arguments to defund the police. Do you have a position on that? I think it's a political thing. I think one of the sides of politics came up with that to anger the other side. Do you want to reappropriate funding? Yeah, okay. Maybe some funds should be reappropriated, but they've already started that. That happened that that happened 5 or more years ago. We started we started investing in um more mental health services. We have teams within the police department that respond to mental health calls that have more mental health training than your average officer. I don't completely agree with the whole defund the police term. I would say if you want to talk about reappropriating funds and, and how we can make uh, police officers better or the police department better, yeah, we can definitely do that. But well, I, it's interesting that you say that because in, in what I've read regarding defunding the police, that is basically what they're saying, is to take some of the funds that are allocated towards police departments and invest them in things, you know, social workers, different resources for the community that would not necessarily mean the level of police interaction. Accountability policing, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And what would you say? So if you got to wave a magic wand and make changes to policing as kind of defined by your experience and what you would like to see be different for yourself later in your career and for younger police officers as they move into the career, what would you want to see changed? I want to see more officers of color. I think there needs to be more recruiting in the black community 
towards policing. There's this overall thought in the black community of negative connotation of police. So then people grow up and then that's not who they see as their hero. They don't see Officer Dave as their hero because their only action uh, interaction with Officer Dave is when they're arresting their older brother. I think there needs to be more funds put towards positive policing outreach in African-American communities. So some of these black boys and girls can start looking at some of these guys as their heroes and looking at it as a career that they do want to go into when, when they get older to start putting more people of color in the position. So they do have the opportunity to come into contact with somebody in the job and make a difference in their life. What do you feel like would help in terms of less people and specifically unarmed people being killed? I think training will help. I know the departments I've been part of have had a ton of training. I could definitely see having a more diverse department, how that could lead to saving some of these black lives. I definitely see it as a problem when you have a 23-year-old white kid from suburbia who had a fairly clean record able to go to the police academy because they passed the backgrounds and everything because all they did was bag groceries through high school. They got the job as a police officer, but how, how does their life experience make them qualified to walk into a black person's household and understand what it is that they may be going through in, in a time of crisis. I don't remember any point in the background uh, investigation of becoming a police officer when they asked me, what, what is your experience with the black community? Or what's your experience with people of color? And how are you qualified to police those people? Yeah, that's an interesting thought that at minimum tapping into someone's level of engagement with people of different cultures and backgrounds and colors might prepare them better instead of thinking that we can we can train out implicit bias doing something in the screening process that might identify what has already solidified for this individual i totally see it because i'd be remiss not to say that at some point in policing you use your own personal experiences of what you've gone through to kind of do your job growing up in black families and 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 knowing you know what i've i've seen throughout my life like i said i'd be remiss not to say that it didn't somehow prepare me for interaction with african americans in my job for a white person who does not have that background or that experience how has that essentially made them not qualified to do that do you feel like even education level, I mean, one thing that you mentioned that didn't really occur to me until you said it earlier was about you being 30 years old and you, um, we talked a little bit about your education. I'm wondering even thinking about police officers that come into the force with a little bit more life experience and exposure and more education and how that might make things different. You definitely see more reason out of our veteran police officers, our officers who are even new, who come in at a more mature age, who've had more life experience, more education. But then you're also tapping into your police numbers. You're not going to find that many people who are willing or in that great of shape who are going to be able to get through a you know six-month police academy 
who have kept themselves in that greatest shape at age 30 to go through a, a rigorous physical academy and be able to get through it and, and make it through. Usually that's why you, you have these young officers. Yeah. But I mean, that's an interesting point because to some extent, are we sacrificing mental and emotional fitness for physical fitness? And what do we benefit by having people that are more equipped mentally and emotionally to de-escalate and to facilitate productive conversations to prepare them to be able to run and chase people or to win a physical combat because they were unable to do that. What have we sacrificed? As there is so much controversy around defunding the police, our nation has become polarized around not only how to solve the problem, but what the problem actually is. Last year in our country, over a thousand citizens were killed by police, while comparatively, 49 police officers were killed during a criminal encounter. Death by police officer is now the sixth leading cause of death for young black men. We have to consider the implications. What does seeing black men being shot by police officers do to us as a society? How does it change how we value Black lives? And what can we do to change it? 